Hi there. Hi. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm good. Let me know if my camera is being strange because it, for some reason, it it freezes when people are recording, and I don't actually know whether or not it's freezing or if it's just showing that on my screen. <laughs> we'll do. I'll let you know. By the way, I love the aesthetic of the room you're in. It looks very peaceful and nice. Yeah. Well, thank you. It's um, it's a, it's really nice to work here. I uh, I'm not one of those composers that likes to work in like a dark dungeon. Um, mm -hmm. I, I need light and um, inspiration in my life. So, <laughs> um, yeah, but thank you. That's very nice of you to say. Yeah, I prefer to work that way too. That's why I'm always fighting to get a practice room with a window. <laughs> I, uh, I went to school at Northwestern and um, it's like out on a lake fill. So I, uh, I used to always, try to get the the um, the rooms that are on the, let's see, it would be the east side of the building because they were just faced out over the lake the entire time. So I could just get lost playing piano and trumpet looking at a lake the entire time, so. <laughs> that is so cool. At UNL, we're just in downtown, so it's not as cool to see that, but it's really nice to just, overlook the sky view because our practice room is on the third floor oh, so wow. we get to look out over the city yeah yeah well that's that's any inspiration is inspiration <laughs> <laughs> exactly all right are you ready to get started yeah sure absolutely or started with the formal part of the interview so welcome to CWC. I'm really excited to have you on the show so that we can talk about your personal journey and your work on Wish Dragon. For members of our audience who might not be familiar with your work yet, would you mind introducing yourself? Sure. Um, my name is Philip Klein. I uh, write music mostly for, for film. Um, I've done a bit of television in my life, uh, a couple video games and a lot of commercials. Um, I, uh, I've been in Los Angeles probably now for about 13 years, I think. Um, done a lot of orchestration. I've done a lot of conducting, um, but uh, composing is where my heart lies. And um, I grew up, let's see, in uh, upstate New York. I went to school at Northwestern and, um, and then just took the plunge and came to Los Angeles and um, just trying to carve my way out in this world and, um, you know, and I got Wish Dragon, which was great. So awesome. Um, yeah. I'm sure one of our practicing procrastinators out there who's listening to this podcast right now is wondering, when's the last time you touched your trumpet? <laughs> Let's see. Um, I have to think about it if that's any indication. Um <laughs> I uh I played it for a friend's score for a Disney thing, probably. Ooh probably three weeks ago. Um, but as far as practice, oh, geez. Um, usually I get called to ask, called to play like a Christmas service. And for about a month before then, I'll, I'll really kind of beat myself up to try to get in shape again. <laughs> so I can kind of cheat my way through things. But I did actually play a bit of it on Wish Dragon for one of the bad guys. There's this little sound really? that I used. So um, you know, they, they, they sit at the ready still. I just, um, me getting around to actually using them is a whole nother story. So, <laughs> um, yeah. 
<laughs> but then in November, you got to get your embouchure back into shape. Yeah, yeah, it's it's very loose lips until then, though. I just, um, it's definitely, it's definitely a wake up call when I can only play for like 15 minutes. I'm exhausted. So it takes a while before I can play, you know, Handel again and, and, you know, start playing piccolo trumpet solos again. So, um, oh gosh, I bet. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a clarinetist and last year I was sick with mono for two and a half months so I couldn't play and then afterwards I was getting back into playing and I remember it was just like 10 minutes and then I was like so out of breath. Yeah yeah everything goes away really pretty quickly your lung capacity your 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 kind of mus muscular structure on a, on a brass instruments you know they your 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 cheeks get really sore and it's just like you know you get done playing for 10 minutes like all right all right that's enough for now <laughs> so <laughs> not ready to do a full dci show quite yet no no dci shows jeez yeah i haven't screamed like that in a while so <laughs> <laughs> um, well yeah go ahead how long have you uh, uh are you like a sophomore i can't i think you told me at some point in here but um a junior I, junior yes mm -hmm. i just finished my third year of my music composition degree i have two semesters left oh wow well congratulations not not <laughs> long now <laughs> and then there's the real world yeah well, <laughs> it's fine it's not nearly as scary as people think it is <laughs> <laughs> i bet so on to your current work for or as of this recording Wish Dragon hasn't been released on Netflix yet. What's the anticipation and preparation like as we get ready for it to hit little screens everywhere? Uh, well, it feels like it's been a while. I mean, I, I think I, I finished scoring this. We finished recording and mixing in December of 2019. Um, so there's been a lot of anticipation. And now that it's actually coming out, it's just the... Uh, the kind of excitement of waiting for it to actually land, I guess. Um, but you know, it's it's a lot of talking to a lot of people and and um, getting people excited about it. And and it's a beautiful film, and it's it's very heartfelt and charming. And 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 I think uh, it, we're all just excited for it to kind of go out into the world and and see how people react to it because uh, we all feel good about it. So. <laughs> Well, I had the unique pleasure of getting to watch a screener to prepare for this interview, and I loved it. Oh, it was good. such a cute movie. Yeah. Um, I'm still in that phase where I have three roommates, and so I remember my roommate, who is a flute and piccolo player, she heard a flute and then immediately came out. She's like, what are you watching? <laughs> yeah, plenty of woodwinds in that score. <laughs> and the, she saw like I think 30 seconds of it and she just got so excited for the movie too and oh, that's nice. if that 30 seconds are any reflection I that's, think people are gonna love it that's great that's very encouraging thank you <laughs> <laughs> of course so I have got to ask what is the research and preparation that went into composing for a score that's set in modern day Shanghai or a Shanghai like city the credit specifically said it's a fictional place uh, mm -hmm. with influences from Chinese folklore. I think I saw something about you even like researching traditional instruments. Yeah, I mean, Chris, the director, 
from the onset was was very very kind of uh, committed to 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 always doing as authentic of a job as we could to honoring the culture. And I mean, he he was in China for most all of production on this thing. And 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 um, you know, when it came time to music, I, it came time to really discuss the music. I think we both obviously wanted to honor that and keep keep some kind of semblance of feeling like we're we're really embracing that culture without without kind of just plugging it in wherever we feel like we needed it. And and so I I um I think probably for three to four months before I even really started writing any notes down, we were just trading music music clips back to, back and forth, uh, videos. I mean there's a lot of YouTubing going on. Mm -hmm. Um a lot of me reading about Chinese instruments, um, reading Chinese folk songs. Um, I have the great fortune of having a, a Chinese assistant who basically sent me to school with all kinds of different <laughs> Chinese. Um, I mean, he did write-ups about every instrument and what it could do. And, and then from there, I started um, having Zooms and Skypes and stuff with uh, soloists all throughout the world and um, got them for the most part, just to show me what it could do. And, and I would ask him, you know, just, just kind of as a, as a way to illustrate things for me and actually see it happening. And, and I would ask him really terribly, you know, inept questions. And I was like, well, can it do that? And then they would kindly spare me the, the shame of telling me that's impossible. Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, I would be taking notes and then, and then once it came time to start doing the score, I, I think we always wanted the music to feel timeless. We didn't want to push it into one specific territory that felt like just purely Eastern music. We also didn't want purely Western music, but we also didn't want just a score that had like a bunch of soloists playing on top of an orchestra. So we we really tried to uh, to integrate all those sounds and those instruments into the orchestra in, in kind of more unique ways and fabric-wise of creating textures and rhythmic rhythmic things and and um in these little what i call sonic ear candies that um mm -hmm. i can kind of place throughout a score and 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 let that kind of be the 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 character that that the score has rather than you know like like i was saying it's just like a, a zhao playing on top of it you know we would have i would have a zhao like stacked on it, top of itself six times, which is Zhao is just a Chinese flute. Um, and 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 I would create these like bubbling textures with the Zhao. And that became just a pad that I used. And we used the Shang, which is like a mouth organ. It looks like it's it's built out of, I, I don't know, it just looks like some weird torture device. It's insane, but it's so beautiful. And and um, that became a huge part of the score as well. And then obviously there's on screen, there's a pipa being played. And I bought a Guching that's sitting in the studio. And, 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 you know, it was never the intention, I think, with those things to be these beautiful performances. It was always like, how can we use these things in new ways? So, you know, we do have beautiful, beautiful performances for certain parts of it, but a lot of it is just, um, this fabric of sound that we created out of all these instruments, which, you know, to an audience probably, I don't even know if you necessarily process that that's what you're hearing, but but I think to us and to the score sonically, it just gave it a little more of a, 
of an interesting sound and something that Chris and I necessarily hadn't heard before. So we were excited about that. So um, that was, I mean, that was so, so much fun. I mean, just the research and, and I mean, as a composer, I think we're always looking for something to inspire us and, and a new sound to kind of make your ears perk up and, or, you know, I mean, there were so, so many times I would get material back from players and, and, and it just, I got so excited to try to like put this in someplace because it, it just, it was so interesting because we just don't have those in a, in a Western setting, you know, so that it was just like being a kid in a candy store for a little while. I was just getting all this amazingly weird sound back that I was just trying to process and put in, in interesting places. So it was great. I loved it. <laughs> Honestly, when I'm composing, that's one of my favorite things to do too, even with Western instruments. I'm like, but can you do this? Yeah. yeah. And if it's a woodwind player, usually it's no. If it's a percussionist, it's like, bet I can do it. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Even if yeah. yeah, they're always down for a, a challenge. <laughs> exactly. That's why it can be kind of scary living with one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Jeez. A flute and a percussionist, that's who you live with? And a French horn player. Oh. You really, you really sampled the entire spectrum of personalities. <laughs> <laughs> The French horn player is a mathematician too. Interesting. That's great. <laughs> um, so when you were getting to work with these instruments, was there at one that you were just anyone in particular where you were just like really excited to get to try and use it? I never used it, but I, I wanted, I was so close to buying one, but then I told myself <laughs> it's just ridiculous. But I, I, um, I love the Shang. I just think it's, it's such a beautiful, like simple sound, and, and but then it can be so complex, complex and poly. You know, they can have polychords going on at all the times, and there's so many, so much manipulation they can a player can do with their throat and their tongues to like make make these fluttering textures and everything. And I just thought it was just a gold mine. I I couldn't get enough material back from that poor Shang player in China. I was just probably sick of hearing from me because I just, I just kept bugging him for more stuff. So, um, but it's, you know, I, I almost every pad, you know, just this long held notes in the back of Wish Dragon for a lot of the emotional material or whatever is made from a Shang. It's just been layered on top of itself several times. And and I just love it because it's such a pure sound. So that was probably one of my favorite, yeah, instrument. <laughs> I loved the way that those um, Eastern instruments were blended into the score because once I started the movie, the first thing that struck me in like those first three minutes was the strong orchestral presence. I was like, all right, I feel like I'm ready to sit down for a full experience. There's a pit orchestra right in front of me. I was like getting, this is gonna be a how to train your dragon kind of ride kind of vibes. Um, but then I got to hear these different sounds that were integrated into it where I was like, okay, we're not in America anymore, but it was so well blended. I never for one moment thought oh, that's kind of out of place. What is that? Instead, yeah, yeah. it just softly fell into it. And I, it wouldn't be until later on when I was like, oh, that's actually not traditionally something I would find in my orchestration textbook. And I think 
myself as a composer, that's the only reason that I like would notice it right away. Cause I was like, I don't think this was on a listening quiz. Yeah, no. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. I mean, we, Chris and I worked really hard to kind of uh, find a balance between those two worlds. And it, it's sometimes, sometimes I would write a full cue that, you know, had the orchestra and, and all the, the layered Eastern instruments on top of it. And we would start just muting things because we're like, well, it actually sounds cooler just to have the Eastern instruments for a little more of this section and then let the orchestra shine a little more in this section. And, you know, I mean, that was also the benefit of having an enormous amount of time to work on this score. I think we had over a year really to kind of flesh this all out. So, you know, we had, we had so much, we had so many layers of complexity in the score with, 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 all these instruments and the different percussions, percussion instruments we used and, and, and whatnot. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to hear that you felt that way, especially as a composer, because, you know, your, your ear is probably attuned more than, you know, the average music listener. So I appreciate it. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, the other thing too, that we, we kind of agreed early on was, I mean, so many, so many Eastern, Eastern scores, especially written by Western composers, rely on a pentatonic scale, which um, is is what it sounds like. Penta meaning five, and and you know, it, and it has a very distinctly Asian sound. And and I, I, that was one of the first questions I asked Chris was like, should we should we even go down that route? And he's like, no, I I you know, that's not this kind of movie. The movie, well, although it's set in China and and it lives in that world, that it should feel timeless and it should feel universal the story should feel universal to everyone which i think it does i mean we you know and and that's what we tried to do with the music as well but but you know we did have fun with acknowledging where it was taking place for sure so um yeah absolutely i especially loved that when they had uh long turn into his emperor version <laughs> it's one of those few moments where you're like oh this is really uh ancient china and it's like what is this and like he's not suddenly acting all emperor like it's still the same guy yeah 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 and john john cho did such a nice job with his performance for for long i mean it's you know i i everybody everybody has these kind of parallels between aladdin and and of course like you know, the genie in Aladdin was Robin Williams, who gave one of the greatest performances in animated films and, and, and whatnot. And, and Chris never set out to make Aladdin 2.0 by any means. I mean, it's a very different story once you get into the film. But but of course, like there's going to be parallels between the two. And, and, and I think John did such a nice job. I mean, it's, there's so much energy in his performance and in and, and, um, and yeah, it's it's also like a credit to the animation too. I mean, they did a really great job animating along. He he's you know he's obviously adorable looking, but he's also just like it's it's so windy and slinky all the time, <laughs> you know. So it's it's it was a lot of fun. That kind of was like the whole purpose of that first cue that you hear in the movie. It starts with like this 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 figure that's like moving moving like which was supposed to just feel like this, you know, it's supposed to feel like a, a dragon going like this. And, and um, I think it's just, uh, yeah, it's just really quality filmmaking from Chris and, and, and all the actors and, and actresses and everybody really did such a nice job with that character. So, um, yeah. A great team. Yeah. <laughs> I'm the lucky one. 
<laughs> I come in at the end and just kind of sprinkle on some frosting and call it a day. So. <laughs> That's how it is with this movie. You never know. It might end up, you might end up with a job like Joker sometime in the future where they're like, we want all the music ahead of time. Yeah, no, I know. It, it definitely happens. I, I've, I've been on other films where, I mean, I'm doing one right now where I got involved very early and it was, and it was, it's a much different experience, you know, and you kind of like evolve with the film, you know, and it's, 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 it's wild, but um, yeah, Joker, Joker was a whole different animal musically, obviously. So, and she did an amazing job considering how they went through the scoring process for that film. So. <laughs> I am lucky enough to be working on an indie film right now where they brought me in shortly after they had finished the really rough cut. And it's been fun to evolve as they change little bits and pieces of the film. So I know what you mean. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I mean, I think um, it can be really helpful to be involved that early because the director doesn't get super influenced by other music or um, get too attached to, to maybe other music, which is sometimes a problem that happens with, with temp scores and stuff like mm -hmm. that. And, and I think that as a composer, if, if you can get in there and, and kind of, um, you know, you yourself react creatively to what's going on and, and, and get some good ideas, then I, the film really takes on a whole new meaning. I, and I think, um, it's really great for a director too, because it's, it's just something that doesn't always happen. We often are an afterthought, unfortunately, you know, mm -hmm. and, and I mean, it's not, it's no one's fault. I think it's just that the way production schedules work and everything it's, you know, you, you get to post-production and you're kind of like, okay, now I can think about music, but leading up to that, sometimes it's like, I don't, I just, you know, music is not what I need to be thinking about right now. So, so it's nice when you're given that opportunity and, um, and that's that's great for you. What kind of a <laughs> film is it? Um, it is a, a short 10 minute coming of age kind of film. Can't mm -hmm. give too much information since this will be published before post-production is finished. That's great experience. I, I did a lot of short films when I was in college and it was such a great training ground for me. Um, you really, you know, you can really kind of like mess up in a very safe environment. So. <laughs> yeah <laughs> we're kind of playing catch up right now because last year uh with covid most of the student films had to just stop production yeah because they just couldn't film or anything there were too many people who had to quarantine but now all of them are suddenly get because um where i am right now in nebraska the covid dial is super low so people yeah. are getting back into filming yeah. And now there's finally demand for the composers again as they yeah, yeah, finish yeah. up production. Some of us were even like the we were lucky enough to have uh, producers who were like, we want to get the composers in early. And yeah. then like a month later, they're like, so uh, there's no project anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you could still like write an inspired by album, I guess. You know, you could read the script mm -hmm. and be like, well, here are some themes I thought of. But I find that enormously difficult because I am just such a visual person that it, it's difficult for me to read something I, i'll get an idea of like yeah it should sound like this and then i see it on screen i'm like it should not sound anything like that actually you know <laughs> you know i just i react so strongly to visuals and in light and the way it's shot and in the color of the film and all that kind of stuff and 
and yeah, I, you know, it's, you know, reading script is such a subjective image that comes into my mind, you know, it's, it's no matter how hard they, they, they work to kind of spell out what they really want. It's still, you know, you're going to be making up an image in your head and it can look wildly different than from what's on the screen at the end of the day. So um, I think it's great. It's great. It's great for you. And it's, it's, uh, it's great for them too, because they have somebody who really cares and um, I'm sure you'll do a great job. Thank you. So kind of back into Wish Dragon and jumping off that stuff. How have you come to develop your process for creating soundscapes, uh, specifically with Wish Dragon? How did you um, balance between the orchestral and moments of electronic music? If there weren't any, I just misheard. But how did you develop that? And how has that changed from when you were younger? I think when I was younger, I mean, I, I like, you know, when you're in college, it's, I, I went to a school that was fairly traditional or composition. So it was mostly acoustic. They had a, they had a very experimental, you know, like Max and, and, and DSP and stuff like that. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, there was plenty of like computer composing going on, but it was not anything that really could apply to a movie. Um, in a, in a traditional sense, let's say it was very, very experimental. And I think like, so when I started out, it was pretty straightforward, acoustic, you know, chamber ensembles, orchestra kind of things. And then as you get older and you start, I think nowadays it's a little easier um, than when I was maybe your age. It's just, there's so many sample libraries out now and um, they're, they sound amazing. And, and, you know, you can buy great synth sounds, you can buy great percussion, you can buy anything nowadays. You can buy a kazoo package <laughs> if you need it, you know? And, and, uh, and I think, um, and, and so it took me a while to do a catch up on the synth work. And I do have a, a, like a group of great collaborators um, that, that helped me a lot uh, when it's a really synth heavy score. Wish Dragon had a lot of synthetic material in it, um, but it always was acting as a color. Um, I think the most synth forward piece in the entire score would probably be uh, when he's biking through Shanghai at the, at the opening of the film or the fictional somewhat Shanghai looking place. Um, mm-hmm. He, there's, there's quite a few synths in there. Um, and then there's this, this little idea, musical idea for, for Din and Lena, the two main characters, um, that's, that's pretty synth based. It has this little fluttering synth that just repeats a lot. And then a very simple piano melody that's based on their little song that they sing. It's not a song, their little saying. They say day by day, year by year. And it's just this three note figure day by day, three year by year. And I, and I, and it, but underneath it, I always thought to myself that there's this little synth that's just doing this repeated thing. And it was always in my mind, a way to to show the little fluttering heart of Din because he was always so excited when he was with her. Uh (laughs) Um, But I, but I think like, it's it's so much experimenting and it's so much like finding out what you like as a composer what you connect with as a composer and and i i i love the power that synths can bring to things i love the the humanity that acoustic instruments can bring to things i in 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 the same way that i loved all the eastern instruments bringing this whole new color and palette to a score that i just didn't really have any experience with and i think that 
as you as you start scoring things that maybe require a little more music of a feature or a you know a radio show or anything really that that's a little more long form when you can start really developing ideas over several minutes hours of a film um you you start to really you start to really dive deep into like okay you know it started with this texture i want this texture to now kind of graduate into that texture and then i want it to evolve into this texture and i think um and I and I, I think on Wish Dragon it was it was a pretty natural evolution. We 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 long is this kind of bigger than life, very flamboyant, you know, very wacky animal that has a ton of energy and and he's just a, he's a character, and so for for him it was always probably mostly orchestra because he was the big showy you know, uh, just over the top thing. For Din, it was always much, much simpler and quieter. And, and he has a lot of energy. So even though it was simpler and quieter, but there, there might be a lot of like complex rhythmic things and, and a little more bouncy synths happening because he has all this energy that you're trying to kind of contain. But at the, at the heart of Din is just, a, you know, just a, a lover. I mean, he's just, he's, he's just this this kid that just wants to be with his friend again. And he's kind of like hopelessly, I don't want to say hopelessly romantic, but hopelessly optimistic and, and just idealistic and all this kind of stuff. And, and I think like, so the, the soul of Din is this very, very kind of soulful, simple theme for him, you know, and it's, and it's very major and it's very uplifting and, and wistful. And I, and I, and I think that world, gets shifted as, as we get further into the movie and he goes through his journey and, you know, without giving away anything, it's just, you know, it, it gets a little heavier and more serious as he's going through his journey. And, and at the same time, Longs is getting a little more emotional as he's going through his journey and, and, and Den and Lina's is getting bigger as they're going through their journey. So, it, you know, you, you just kind of like evolve, evolve those things as you're, as you're going through a movie and you're, you're, you're experiencing these things with the characters, you know, and I think that's a sign of a really, really talented composer. And I don't know if I'm there yet, but I, I, I watch these films of, you know, James Newton Howard and, and, and these masters of scoring Elfman and Giacchino and all these guys, and especially in animation, because animation tends to be so music heavy and music driven. Um, where they'll plant these little seeds at the beginning of the film and you'll hear them and, and then Maybe you don't even necessarily know it on the first time you view the film, but after you view it the second time, you're like, oh, that's that's his theme. And I see what he did here. And then at the end of the film, now it's enormous. And it's been, you only heard three notes, but now you hear 10 notes. And then at the end of the film, you hear the whole eight bar phrase. And and I think like those guys and girls and 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 ever those there, there's just some super talented composers. And 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 I I really uh, I I always learn. Every time I watch something, I, I learn. So <laughs> I think to answer your question, I, I mean, we're always evolving. We're always learning. We're always growing. Um, I think if you tell yourself you're not and you've arrived at where you want to be, then I don't, I, I think that's, you're, you're doing a disservice to your growth as a composer. So I think you have to acknowledge that there's always room to, to kind of experiment and grow. So <laughs> it was a long answer to a simple question, but it's a podcast. That's what it's all about. I even read an article the other day about how somebody hates any time where podcasts have short answers. So you're doing great. <laughs> I can be and wordy. That's for sure. <laughs>
Eh, I've been to jazz jams where someone takes like 19 choruses. I don't think it's too wordy. Yeah, no, that's okay. <laughs> uh, you, I love how you spoke about that and kind of how you don't get everything in the first time you watch the film. I already want to go back and at least listen to the score again because I didn't notice that um, fluttering thing you were talking about first with mm -hmm. uh, Din, how there's always like that fluttering rhythm right underneath. And I was like, oh, how did I miss that? Mm -hmm. But I mean, I didn't even remember the E.T. theme somehow the first yeah. time I well, watched it. Yeah, Sometimes you got to rewatch. Yeah, and I don't think it's, it, it's, it's not something you, you want to necessarily notice. You know, it's, it's, I mean, the first time you view a film, I hope that it's, I mean, I all think all about the story. Yeah, all the filmmakers hope that it's not you're not noticing any one thing. You're just wrapped up in this experience, you know. And and I think if if you're just noticing music, unless it's a very obvious music moment, I, I feel like we've we've done our job as filmmakers. And you know, me as a composer, Chris as a director, the cinematographer, the the, the well, there's not a cinematographer, the director of photography, and the animators have all done their job. If if you um if you get to the end of the movie and you're like, that was really great. You know, I, I, it was just, the whole experience was lovely. And then sure you go back and you start, you know, watching a scene again and be like, Oh, wow. I noticed that now, you know? And, and I think like it's the same with music I and mean, music especially should really just kind of be giving you a little nudge underneath it all. You know, I don't think it necessarily needs to like be out in the front and yelling at you. I mean, it's, it's not really the purpose. <laughs> I agree. One of my least favorite series, I won't say what it is, so I don't get, you know, canceled, but <laughs> there is a certain rock and roll kind of inspired score that would keep distracting from intense dialogue moments. And I was like, I really don't want to be thinking about the music right now. I'm pretty sure one of these guys is about to die. Yeah. But I can't tell what they're saying. Yeah. It's hard too, you know, I mean, I, I, I certainly, oh, definitely. I certainly don't ever like hold that against a composer because um, if it's in a show or it's in a film, that means the director and the producers and the filmmakers all wanted that. You know, exactly. they're not going to put something in there that they don't want. And so, I, I, I just, I, it's always a little sad when I read like critical reviews about a film that I thought was really good or a score that I thought was really good, and they've singled out something because it's like, well, it's. Sure, the composer wrote it, but it's like, you know, we we all made a conscious decision that mm -hmm. this is what what people think works for the show or this film. So I think um I think, you know, you you are there to to service a, a director's vision and, and we all hope that our director has a clear vision and, and a and a vision that's serves the film the best and, and and but you know, sometimes maybe you don't agree with that, but yeah. that's also not your job. You're there to help exactly. Him it's his film and you know, you're a part of that experience. So um, yeah, I, I, I don't ever blame a composer. If, if something rubs me the wrong way and I see it, I go, well, you know, it's just yeah. not the way I would have preferred to do it, but I, you know, probably not the right person for the job anyway, so. <laughs> Heck, um, I mean, and it's still an amazing series and someone could have just hit the wrong button when mixing. Yeah, that's, that, yeah, you'd be surprised. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I've definitely been there. I turned in an assignment last semester for my film scoring class. And when the teacher played it for the whole class, somehow the double basses had been mixed two times louder. 
then oh, wow. the rest really shook of... the room then yeah <laughs> yeah they <laughs> and they were just holding a drone too so instead of like this nice orchestral cue that i had intended to turn in it's just bah! i was like yeah, yeah. well that worked it was a funeral procession too it was fair it was so amazing wow well, it was very dark funeral procession then <laughs> yes um so back to Wish Dragon and less about my embarrassing failure of mixing. Uh, so I can tell you a good embarrassing story though before we go to Wish Dragon, just to make you feel sure. a little better. I, I, I've done a, a, quite a fair amount of orchestrating in my life. And, and one, of, one job I worked on was Sims 2, the music for Sims 2. And we were at Fox. It was Steve Jablonski, wrote the score, very talented composer, um, you know, huge composer um lovely man he's such a joy to work with um and i was kind of really just starting and i was working with a, an orchestrator panka kunova who's also a brilliant composer and huge part of my early existence in hollywood and is such a dear friend to this day anyway we were we were working and and we were on the stage recording it's you know it's this big cathartic moment when you see how this music come to life and you've worked so hard on it and they were doing an arrangement of Star Spangled Banner which I orchestrated and I forgot to label a B flat um, because we do everything in concert pitch and, and most of these things so you know it's uh, like that right on the top <laughs> and and it was just the most hideous B natural against a B flat and of course, it sounded like a joke because it was at the top of the phrase and and I just slinked into the corner and disappeared. So, you know, it happens on every level. Um, you know, that's that's what we're, we're human and we're musicians and we learn and we, you know, hopefully do it right the next time. But <laughs> but yes, life is full of mistakes. That's that's how you grow. So you'll 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 probably mix something incorrectly again in your life. But, you know. It's fine. <laughs> Thank you. And that is a cool story. <laughs> I will feel less bad next time I accidentally hand a uh, trumpet player the score in C. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, don't, yeah. At least that's only a step off. A half step's even just just a hideous sound. Uh, a step off, you, you sound like Ives. So <laughs> There. I mean, I mean, with the half step, you can sound like Schoenberg. Yeah, that's true. That's all I was going for. Schoenberg's arrangement of the Star Spangled Banner with a little Weber and sprinkled on top. There you go. Perfect. There you go. Well, something a little less, what is music? <laughs> this movie has a lot of really upbeat action scenes, um, especially after Din gets his um, ability to be in action scenes without yeah, yeah. giving too much away. Yeah, exactly. Um, but the real focus of the movie, as can be told from trailers, is on friendship and love. He just wants to be with his best friend, as you were talking about when you were going through these different cues what were your processes for scoring it as you mentioned you're not one of those composers that just likes to sit in your black room and stare at it 
Yeah, most of my themes come when I'm walking the dog. You know, it's it's just or I'm like cooking food. It just feels like a, I'm more creative if I'm trying not to be creative in a way. And mm-hmm. I, I uh, yeah, you know, it's it's an interesting problem to have on a film. And and I think animation is is maybe a, a bit of a unique circumstance because there's a, a whole nother layer that the composer needs to to kind of occupy because it's not a three-dimensional environment you know it's not a live action film um so you know you're not necessarily always seeing like the sweat on their brows or you're not hearing birds in the distance or the trains off in the in the background or whatever and you know music kind of plays plays a a a bigger role to kind of uh, bring things to life in animation and and in this film uh, yes i mean he does uh gain the ability to do such um, things as you were mentioning. I, uh, I think that, that is definitely one place where we, we let the, the, um, the Chinese imagery and um, pageantry that we had been studying up until that point, I mean, me and Chris really kind of go to, go to work. And um, there's a sequence in the, in the middle of the film. It's, it's, it's so much fun. Um, I don't ever know how much to talk about or not talk about, but it's a it's a it's like a parade sequence. We'll say that, mm-hmm. and um, and the entire thing is just scored with uh, Chinese percussion. And and originally I had written like a proper animation action cue with the orchestra blasting away and having a good time, and you know those are great fun to write. And then um, we were watching it, and and Chris says, "Yeah, I wonder what it would sound like if we just did percussion, and we did it all." like theatrical Chinese opera percussion, you know, like mm-hmm. almost as if like you, something you, you might be hearing, you know, like out on the street with, with like a percussion ensemble. And I don't think I would have ever thought about that. So I owe this to Chris because he made me look great and smart, but I, um, we did it and it worked so well. And, I, and it became like one of our most like fun sequences when we look back on it, of, of just like, we I, I had these percussion players just like go crazy and and you know and, and it was just so much fun and it brought this like whole level of pageantry without blasting somebody with an orchestra you know and it's it, you know you weren't just hearing like big strings of brass or woodwinds it was all just like different timbres in, an, in a percussion ensemble that was just like you know frenetic craziness but but it just worked really well with all the weirdness that was going on the screen between these these things, um, and uh, and I think like that ended up informing a lot of those action sequences. Then with Din, um, so in a lot of his action sequences, it's highly percussive, and I think like that that one is certainly a, a, a unique one, and it's it's mostly just percussion. But like early on in the film, when he first gains a, a certain power, um, and he doesn't even know that he necessarily has it, and then he suddenly discovers he has it, and then you know, you'll start hearing all these things come in in the orchestra and also then the percussion starts to come up and 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 that really sets off like a whole journey in, in Din's music because it starts to get much more percussive and, and kind of frenetic as as he's getting more frantic in the film. And and um there's there's a couple really cute sequences with him that were all percussion and stuff. But but um yeah and I and I it's 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 tricky because at the end of the day, at the end of the film, it is a very emotional experience. And, and, and I think what, what that journey in the music had to do was not give away too much early on in the film 
so that when we got to the end of the film, it was this big catharsis, you know, and, and, and so I, you know, in a way, all that percussion and action material actually helped because it, it gave us this kind of other world to live in so that when we did get to the end and the orchestra finally exploded and really became more center stage, you know, in your face with all the emotional stuff, it felt very earned. And, um, and uh, you know, we worked really hard to kind of pace the score so that it, it did that. Um, but yeah, that's it. <laughs> That's really cool, especially with um, the sequence that is during a parade. I might have just imagined this because of how strong the percussion was, but I thought it was like actually a part of like, oh, there are drums in the parade. I was like, do I see drums? I had to like you try did. and think back if I saw them. <laughs> but like, I thought that was so cool. I just assumed it was part of the scenery of the scene. Like yeah. I never would have guessed that wasn't the original setting. So that's really freaking awesome. Yeah, it's cool. It was, it was, yeah, you do see drummers on screen and, and at first, like I said, it was an orchestra thing and, and you would hear these drums in the background. And then, and then, you know, I was like, he's like, let's just ditch the, the orchestra. And I did like a, a whole rewrite of just percussion and made it like really kind of nuts. And, and, um, he and, and the producer Aaron Warner came over and and they they watched it and they were they were both just laughing at the end of it and and, and I was like well I think we did our job you know because that was the whole point of that sequence is I mean there's danger shouldn't certainly there's danger in the sequence but but it's ultimately just like very entertaining you know it's it never really feels too serious that particular that particular sequence unlike the end of the film where the the action had to be much darker because there is a sense that this could go really wrong. So again, the orchestra kind of, you know, gives you that emotional nudge. So, yeah. That's really cool. It reminds me of just like, well, any like live concert ensemble or marching band or DCI or whatever, like everyone loves a good drum break. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, they do. Everybody gets pumped up for drums. <laughs> Especially the drummers. Yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> So what would you say was the most tricky cue for you in this film? Oh boy. Um, totally. I think uh, the sequence when we first meet Long, uh, when we first see the teapot and Long comes out and you'll watch the movie and you'll go, really? Because it feels like nothing. Um, but we tried so many versions of that sequence um just to find the right tone for how to introduce long to the audience um and ultimately it, it kind of settled on the most simple magic-y kind of sound that you could get um but we did i there's like a ragtime version we did we did something that was like a two-step we did we did um so many different so many different versions very comedic some of them very serious other ones and um you know, I mean, like I said, you watch it now and it seems like nothing really too big or, or bad or anything, but um, it was, it was, it was tricky. It was tricky for whatever reason. It was just tricky to find the right, the right tone for that sequence. Um, and I think that's just because he, he had so much energy and we didn't, you know, it was hard to find the balance so that we weren't pushing too much more energy into the performance. We just needed something for his performance to sit on <laughs> you know and, and sometimes it's hard as a composer sometimes it's hard to get out of the way as a composer um, 
because you know you always want to write something fun and nice so <laughs> but yeah that one probably the most difficult to find the right notes for um interesting technically um probably the last action sequences just because they were so much music you know it's just, mm -hmm. it's a, it's a there's a stretch in the film from like the the, the three quarters mark to the end it's basically just 15 minutes of nonstop music. And I think like that's always hard when you have that much music to pace it and not make it feel like, I'll please somebody mute the music, you know? Um, so, um, so far I haven't gotten any complaints about it. So I think we did okay. So. <laughs> nice. I personally felt like it developed pretty naturally, but I don't know. I've been to several like five movement orchestras. What do I know? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> On the other side of the coin, or maybe the same. Sometimes people think the most difficult stuff is the most fun. What was a cue that you just really loved to score? I love all the sequences between Din and his mom in the film. I think it's such a it's such a beautiful relationship. And there's a sequence at the end. They have a very beautiful, touching moment, and it and it and it ended up just being everything worked the first time I scored it. It's just like the theme landed in the perfect spot. The harmony landed, the, the suspensions were in the nice spots. And it just felt like all the notes landed on the perfect lines or the perfect hug or the perfect look. And, um, and it just, um, you know, I, that doesn't always happen as a composer. Sometimes you're banging your head on the ground trying to figure out what to do. But I think um, that particular moment to me is is like one of the most heartfelt moments um also with somebody that just grew up a lot with a with a single mom i think I, there's, a, there's a certain fondness i had to that moment that relationship but i think um that's probably my favorite you know the end of the film is is beautiful and, and you get to write really lovely i i mean i love writing big action music it's so much fun but at the end of the day i always crave the emotional things because I, I want to be feeling something and and um and that that to me it's just it was a beautiful scene and it was really nice to score and there's a, there's this really nice moment between din and lena and, and and it's it's just all really beautiful filmmaking so i uh it was just one of those sequences that i just i got very lucky to score so um that's easily my favorite it's that and I think on the soundtrack it's called everything that matters that's what it is uh, the moments between Din and his mom were my favorite too I am Filipino and so I grew up with a strict Asian mother mm -hmm. and before there's a part where you see the mother holding a magazine and I'm like I already know what's gonna happen you better run boy yeah yeah mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> I just and I also have many aunts, uncles, and mm -hmm. cousins that are always in the know. So yeah. it's such it a, was it's such a, very it's such relatable. A, yeah, it's such a fun, like organic little side storyline in that movie. His whole family, like the whole like, you know, congregation of his family that are always just around, you know. I mean, it's it's just uh it's yeah, I I love I love his whole like home relationship. I just, I think it's such a, such a organic, natural, natural kind of telling of that life. And um, yeah, yeah, it was my a favorite, lot of fun. 
my favorite line from his mom was we haven't had company in like two hours yeah yeah I'm like yes I, there would be like weekends at my house where my mom would have like three parties in one day and i was yeah, like wow. yes that is right <laughs> yeah, yeah. i think that i think that that line happens in in my favorite sequence actually that's the, what we just talked about it's right at the end of the film um. <laughs> well there we go i found a way to give listeners a hint without giving any spoilers yeah exactly they haven't had company in two hours <laughs> there we go my keys <laughs> um so kind of connecting this project to your other work you also got to work as an orchestrator for uh raya and the last dragon right yeah yeah and that's an animated film that's based on southeast asian cultures Whereas China, for people who don't know, is usually regarded as East Asia. Did you find any areas in between these two movies where there were intriguing similarities and differences that you hadn't anticipated? Well, I mean, first thing, I mean, as an orchestrator, I'm not maybe, I, I mean, I'm not involved in the kind of like creative decisions about the score in, in the sense of, I mean, that is James Newton Howard's music. And, you know, he makes, he has the, the director meetings and he makes all the brilliant decisions that he does. And, 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 and I come in as part of a team to then take the orchestral parts, get them on paper. Sometimes we'll notate ethnic instruments if they're going to be performed live. And um, oftentimes James bring the, brings those in ahead of time before we start actually scoring with the orchestra. But, but um, I, I remember when I got a call from the lead orchestrator, Pete Anthony, on that film to, to work on it. And, and I was like, oh man, another animated dragon movie. And I had, I had finished Wish Dragon by that point. And I was like, and it's Disney. I was like, oh no, you know, it's James Stewart and Howard. Oh no. I was just so terrified that I was going to hear the music and be like, oh, I should have done such a better job, you know? Um, but you know, it's, it's a very different movie. It's a very different score. It's, it, it's, you know, it's an entirely different experience. Um, James did a lot of really amazing Mongolian and, and, and interesting um, Southeast Asian textures, uh, you know, that certainly in, in Wish Dragon would have never worked, um, nor would have Wish Dragons worked in this movie. Um, so I think for me, it was a very, it was a very left, left brain, right brain kind of experience. I, I you know, I, I loved Wish Dragon and I loved what I did. I got to do on Wish Dragon. Um, I don't know if I love what I did. I, I, I have a very critical analysis of all my work, but, but I think, um, I think what James did is always, he's just, he's so thoughtful in the way he scores movies and he's so thoughtful in how he approaches, um, especially those like interesting textural, you know, ethnic elements. And, and I think they were just, they were different experiences for me, but I, um, again, I got to learn a ton from James. Every time I work on a James Newton Howard score, I learn a ton. He's just brilliant. And I can't say enough about him. He's, <laughs> He's always been, I, he was one of the main reasons I got into writing music for film and to be able to work with him now is a dream. So um, I think, uh, you know, I, 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 I wasn't, I, I think when we finished Ryan and the Last Dragon, I wasn't, I wasn't feeling too bad about myself. So that's a good thing. <laughs> that's <laughs> I, was like, good. I, I held, I held my own okay on Wish Dragon, I think, you know, um, but I, 
that's that's more a credit to Chris, I think, than me. I, I you know, I had really great direction. So, <laughs> I mean, full disclosure, I haven't seen Raya and the Last Dragon yet because I'm too cheap to pay for premiere access. But <laughs> okay. I, I'm a college I, student. I, that's I saw it because excuse. I worked on it. So. <laughs> exactly but i when i was looking at your website and i saw them both on there i'm like oh interesting because yeah, yeah. just at face value they seem very similar they do yeah and um yeah i've seen some people like having seen the trailer for wish dragon they go it's raya and the last dragon meets aladdin and i was like man it's it's not but you know it's yeah. really <laughs> so, not <laughs> um but you know that's for them to find out I mean, when you all you have is the trailer, I mean, I can't blame people for trying to draw conclusions. You have limited yeah, information, yeah, yeah. but you want to make some kind of connection. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't blame them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, more on to Wish Dragon. I noticed in the credits that you got to work as an orchestral conductor for the score as well. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so and you got to record with the New Zealand Symphony Orchestra, is that right? Yeah, yeah. So really yeah, cool. I do. Um, I do a lot of conducting, film conducting. I should say it's a very different world than concert conducting. Uh, I do not consider myself a concert conductor. I've done film music concerts, um, but I I don't have a lot of desire to be, you know, conducting Beethoven or Brahms. Um, I I love the music and I listen to it daily, but. Um, that is an entirely different experience than a film conductor. Um, I uh, I love conducting my own music um, just as much as I love orchestrating my own music. Um, I think there is a certain level of connection I have with an orchestra that I, I really enjoy as part of the process <clears throat> of recording. I think um, it gives me kind of a it just it feels nice to be out on the stage like really putting in the work i think with them and and, and molding the performance into what i'd like and and asking you know the concertmaster how can we make this better or you know i see the bowing is a little weird on this can we can we fix it somehow and and i think um i love that part of the process it's it's not for the faint of heart i think a lot of composers think that they just should do it because you know it's their music and they want to do it I think you have to be a, a really, I don't want to say strong, because that's not the right word. I think you have to be pretty, pretty confident in your, your vision of what you want to hear and what you, what you need to hear from them, and then be open to accepting that it's not going to always sound like that immediately. And, and also open to that they might be able to do it better than you even imagined if you just let them. Again, along with all the collaboration talk we've been speaking about, I think, I think um, that's another level. Um, you know, you collaborate with a with a director, you get the score to where you guys are, guys, girls, anybody is happy, and then you move to work with an orchestra, and then in front of an orchestra or whoever your group is, if it's four soloists, if it's a single violin player, if it's a hundred and twenty piece orchestra, you 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 then say, okay, now now let's let's us go go into this together and and try to make something even better than i imagined and and it's a really it, it can be such a beautiful process and 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 i think that on wish dragon i was so lucky i mean the new zealand symphony orchestra is amazing they've recorded 
you know, the Lord of the Rings scores and the Hobbit scores and, and Mortal Engines and all these brilliant things. And aside from being one of the best orchestras in the world, and and um, they're very kind on some, you know, sometimes that's that's a hard thing when you're a young composer, they, they don't always take you seriously, but I um, I never felt any anything but but engagement from them and and uh, it was it was a blast. You know, I had some of my team over there that were helping me in the booth. They would listen and say, "Oh, you know," because you don't always hear everything. Things are going very fast when you're conducting, and and um, I generally listen for balances at first, and then from there I listen for tuning, and then you know I start to kind of mold mold it and and say i need more here less that you know let's try it a little more get a better performance here and then i'll check with my guys in the booth and whoever's there and um and ask them how they feel and then you know if we're good we go we're then we move on but I, I i do love being out on a out in the room with an orchestra uh i i don't feel the same way about a choir i love choirs i couldn't i could listen to choral music for the rest of my life if if somebody told me that's the only thing i could listen to and i'd be happy but i but i think that there is a certain level of um specificity <laughs> that needs to happen as a conductor that i don't have as a choral conductor um and choral conductors are often master singers themselves and are very good at articulating exactly what to do with vowels and syllables and all this diction stuff that I just would never be able to get out of my mouth quick enough and 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 or nor that I really even have the knowledge to say I know what I want it to sound like and I know when it's right but um, it's much easier for me to interface with a choral conductor um, than me pretend to be a choral conductor um, so I I do let that go. Um, I, I usually am out on the stage next to the conductor and we'll spend a few few minutes on a cue getting it to where I need it and then I'll run into the booth and make sure it all sounds good and then we can move on. But but um yeah, I mean on, on Wish Dragon, I was in Utah with uh Jean Feldstead and, and she's brilliant. She's 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 contracted several choirs for scores of mine and um you know she is she's a master at what she does. So I um I was happy to to hand the baton to her and let her do her magic so and they sing beautifully and and um you know i choral elements tend to be pretty strong on a lot of my scores um so this was the same case i mean, obviously we're dealing with like otherworldly things so why not have a choir so <laughs> um but yeah she did she did a great job i mean they they were great as, as they always are yeah, I have a few friends who are out in Utah, and um, I, uh, when I was talking with them about Wish Dragon, because I mean, we're all music nerds, <laughs> they were saying, hey, you know, one of our people down here got to conduct a choir for that. No, really? So yeah, yeah. It's really cool. I'm from yeah. Idaho, so I have lots of friends out and about in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Idaho and Utah are connected in multiple ways. So. <laughs> um, That's <yeah>. right. <laughs> so uh, this is one of my favorite questions to ask composers because I am one of those people who maybe optimistically still believes you are always students. Uh, 
what would you say is the biggest thing you learned from this project? Oh man, I mean, it was my first animation. I, I, I had always wanted to do an animation and I want to just keep doing animations. I, 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 I love animated movies. I just, I just love them. And, and I love the experience. I love getting to watch an animated film come to life. Um, I think I maybe didn't appreciate how much work an animated film is. I knew it was going to be a lot of work, but it's just, there's a ton of music and it's always very detailed music. Um, at least on Wish Dragon it was. Um, I think there was one cue that I, I could finish in a day. And that was a like a, a minute transition cue that was very pretty and nice, but, um, and it, oddly enough, it became the direct one of the director's favorite cues in the film. And I yeah. laughed because I was like, it's funny that that's the cue that you love because I, I actually could finish it quickly. But most everything took days, you know, I mean, between between the the layering and not only the writing, but just the production of it all. And and um, and that's OK. And I and I enjoyed having the, the freedom to do that and having the, the, the luxury of all that time. Um, but, you know, I think you really. I learned just just how much you you need to um, commit to your ideas in, in a film like this. And, and, you know, once I found my themes, I felt very, very comfortable. But it was it, it's terrifying when you start and you can't you, you may, maybe just aren't sure where those themes are going to be, even though you're really as a composer, the only one that's terrified. The director has complete confidence in you and it's like, yeah, you'll figure it out. But, you know, at night you're like, oh, my gosh, what am I going to do? Um, but, you know, it, I just, I think um, trusting, trusting your instincts is, is such a huge part of what we do as, as, as film composers and, 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 and filmmakers, because we are filmmakers too. And, and, and I think, I think um, that was the biggest thing I learned. It's just like being able to, to kind of trust because I actually Din's theme which is a huge thematic element in the film was, was one of the first doodles I did. And I kind of discarded it as like, oh, I can do better than that. And then like three months later, I was like, I don't need to do better than that. that's it. You know, like there it is right there. And, uh, and I should have just kind of like trusted myself. I would have saved myself a few ulcers in the process, I think, but I am, um, that's about it though. I, I, I that, that's the only trust thing I think I had. I mean, of course I learned all kinds of other stuff along the process, but it was more just, uh, you know, the, the, the joys of doing a, a film of this size for the first time. Um, but I mean, I had so much fun and, and um, I would do it again in a heartbeat. <laughs> well, I hope you get to, I really love this score. I would advocate for you to get to do another animated film. Well, thank you. <laughs> I got, I'll, I'll set you up with my agent after this. <laughs> Excellent. So next I have a very important, very, very serious question. If you had a wish dragon, what would you wish for? <laughs> Jeez. Oh, man. Um, well, I, I grew up a pretty modest human being, and in my life, I can't complain about. So there's not a lot of, like, material things that I would really want in my life. So I probably would wish that my dog could live as long as I could, because I don't ever want to lose her, because she's amazing. Um, I probably, I probably wish for something a little more impactful on a societal level, like, you know, ending certain kinds of diseases or something like that, <laughs> or at least being able to treat them a little more, 
more um, efficiently. And I don't know if I saved one just to like, as a play thing or something like that. I don't know what I would do. The mm. instrument you convinced yourself not to buy. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I no, you know what? I think my third wish would probably be the ability to speak any language. I just think Ooh. that would be a really great thing to be able to do. Um, that so would yeah. be so cool. Cure some diseases, speak all the languages, and have my dog around until I'm I'm gone. <laughs> I would probably wish for the dog thing too. My little Australian Shepherd Bandit is my favorite. Yeah, she's right here. She's a studio dog. <laughs> Very nice. My dog, when I play bass clarinet, he just likes to sit right next to the bell and listen to it. It's probably vibrating at some frequency that is very comforting towards his soul. <laughs> but if it's soprano clarinet, he's out. He's gone. Yeah. Nope. Yeah, trumpet isn't a big, a big, um, she's not a big fan of the trumpet. My dog's name is Stash. She's a, she's a little German shepherd mix. But um, yeah, when the trumpet comes out, she tends to go hide in another room. And then she'll come back <laughs> when I'm done. She says, are you done? <laughs> um, Can we listen to more pleasant things now? Yeah. yeah. All right, last uh, interview question for you today, or at least for me, I don't know how many have lined up after this. Any advice for the aspiring composers who are listening to this podcast? Um, well, composer in general, I, I, I'd say um, don't underestimate the power of your ears. Um, I think we don't give ourselves enough credit for listening and um, just absorbing uh, what we do. And um, for film composers, same. Except for film composers, I, I would say, um, uh, boy, specifically composers that maybe want to come to Los Angeles, because uh, there's, that seems to be a pretty popular choice for a lot of young film composers, is, um, is to, 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 to be as authentic as you can to, to your own writing. Um, I, I think so many people come out here and they, they, they write music that they think people want to hear. Um, and in the process of doing that, they kind of um, maybe dilute their actual soulful writing that they're, they're capable of. And you know, while it is true that you will get often asked to write in the style of another person or another composer or another anything, a group of people, I think um, ultimately, you know, it's, it's your voice that they're, you're being hired for. Um, and then I, I think it's, with any music thing, it's, it's about kind of surviving. And I, and I say that in a very encouraging way. It, it, there is no career track in what we do as film composers. There's no guarantee, there's no 10 year, there's no five year plan, 10 year plan, 15 year plan. I think um, the only thing you can control is your output. Um, which means doing the best work you possibly can on every project, no matter how small or, or large it is. And um, because you never know who will hear that. And, and, and two is to just persevere until your time comes. Because I think if you, if you stay out here long enough or you, you commit yourself long enough to something, eventually you will be given an opportunity. And I think oftentimes the reason that people don't get those opportunities is because they kind of move on too quickly. Um, I mean, I'm not saying, you know, live on $100 a month for 15 years of your life. I'm saying, you know, get, get, 
get get a job. I mean, you know, you need a job, you need money, but then you know, kind of be true to that other part of your life and 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 um, allow yourself to fail, allow yourself to succeed, and then some at some point in your life. I mean, it took ten years for me to get a a, a studio feature film. Um, ten years of working on all kinds of projects on all levels and. And, and then, you know, when you're given that chance is to just write with your heart and, and not your brain. And, um, and uh, the rest is kind of noise, you know, you just, you just follow, follow that and, um, and, and hope for the best. There's only so much you can control. So control it, <laughs> control that stuff that you can and, and enjoy the process because it's, you know, at the end of the day, we get to make music for a living and that's pretty wild. So um, yeah, that's about it. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was really fun to get to chat with you. I I know you're critical. I'm super critical of myself at 24 hours, eight days a week. But I <laughs> honestly got to say, I love the score. The movie's mm -hmm. awesome. Thank and you thank so you much. again for coming on the show. It was awesome to talk to you. Yeah, my pleasure. It's really nice to speak to you. And, um, you know, good luck with your career, too. Um, if if you uh, if you ever need any advice, just let me know. I'm here, always happy to offer anything. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Well, have a great rest of your weekend. Uh, you Thank too. You. Bye bye. Bye. Hi guys. Thank you so much for joining me today for this interview with Philip Klein about his work on Wish Dragon. Be sure to head over to Netflix and tune in and I will see you next Tuesday for a podcast about the score for The Secret of Wales on National Geographic on Disney+. Plus. Have a great rest of your weekend, guys. Bye. Don't forget to follow this podcast on Spotify, follow my Facebook page, and subscribe on YouTube, and share this with your friends to help support the show and so that you can be informed when new episodes come out.